It's not about being the best in the world. It's just about getting a little bit better. And if you can get that few percent better in each of these skills, you're going to have a fantastic, successful career. So don't be intimidated. Start today and just focus on getting a little bit better. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have a brilliant and awesome guest to share with you today. His name is Mark Hirschberg. He's the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. Educated at MIT, Mark spent his career launching and fixing new ventures at startups, Fortune 500s, and academia. He's developed new software languages, online marketplaces, new authentication systems, and tracked criminals and terrorists on the dark web. Mark helped create the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he's taught for 20 years, and he also served on the boards of nonprofits, Techie Youth, and Plant a Million Corals. There's so much more. I can't wait to jump in. Mark, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is awesome having you here. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to share some tips with your audience. Yeah, we're, this is going to be great. And, and there's so many things that we could dive into, and we will. But what I like to do, and I do this with everybody, is to peel back the layers of the onion and kind of find out your superhero origin story. So what got you started on the path you're on today? I have this very interesting dual path. Ever since I was young, I was interested in STEM, and in high school, that became computers in particular. So I went to MIT, I started focusing on computer science as well as physics, and I started my career as a software developer during the dot-com era. I realized early on that what was really interesting to me, it wasn't just the engineering problems, but it was leadership, particularly engineering leadership, because I like the technical part, I like the people part as well. There's really complex questions and challenges when you're dealing with people. So I wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. But I realized that to become a CTO, it wasn't just about being a good software engineer. Yes, I had to know how to code, but there were other things, leadership, communication, team building, hiring, all these things that no one ever taught me how to do. So if I want to be a CTO, I had to figure that out. And I began to develop those skills in myself in doing so, I realized these are skills that all of us can benefit from, and I began to train up my team doing so. Around the same time, MIT was getting feedback that said, you know, we, uh, the companies that come and hire our students, we can't find these skills and people we want to hire. Again, leadership, networking, negotiating, communication, we can't find it. And it's not just MIT students, it's not just college students, but universally everyone, because colleges generally don't focus on these skills. 
So MIT said, we need to address this. And we created a class 20 some years ago, MIT's Career Success Accelerator. When I heard they were doing this, I'd reached out to them and offered to help. They said, yes, please. And then they invited me to come teach. So for the past 20 years, I've had, in addition to my CTO career, this parallel career teaching at MIT and then later teaching elsewhere, these professional skills. And that, of course, turned into the book and the speaking that I do now. So I have two careers. I have my CTO career and then my professional development career. And, and I want to talk about the personal development career in a bit, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention or explore, rather, uh, the thing about hunting terrorists on the dark web, because that's so out of left field for all the other stuff you're doing. How did that come about? And tell us about it. it sounds crazy. My graduate work was in cryptography. Cryptography is a branch of mathematics that deals with secret codes. And that can be used in different ways. In some ways, that is why you can put your credit card online and feel safe. But it's also how groups like the CIA and NSA encrypt secure messages we send to people in the field or try to decrypt secure messages sent by other nations to their people in the field. So it's all how you encrypt and decrypt and keep secrets or discover secrets. I've done a number of cybersecurity companies. And while some of those have been things like we can do something better than using passwords to log you in, others have been basically intelligence gathering. So we would go onto the dark web and poke around and go undercover, so to speak, to understand what's going on. Because of course, when you are engaged in conflict, as we are with global hackers, understanding who, what, where, why, when, how, knowing what the adversary is trying to do and where and how they're trying to do it makes you more effective in your defense. So our company as a private corporation would go and gather this intelligence using techniques we developed. And then we would sell that to companies as well as various government agencies. So I'm interested because people hear the term dark web and you, you can't launch Chrome and just type in darkweb.com, right? Like, tell us a little bit about the dark web, uh, how the terrorists hang out there and, and all of these you know, bad things that are on there and then how, how you guys stop that and, well, stopped some of those activities. The dark web isn't really a scary place. Dark web just refers to a different type of protocol. Now, most people are familiar with HTTP. Some folks might have heard of things like FTP, the file transfer protocol, or things like, uh, I believe, Napster, when that was running, used to use a different proprietary protocol for how files got transferred. There is a community called uh, Onion that uses Tor, the Onion router, and it's a different protocol. It's not HTTP. And the Onion router... The reason it's called an onion, you used that reference earlier, the multiple layers. The idea is that instead of going directly to a server in France, where there might be a website, I'm going to route my connection to that server through Canada, then Argentina, then Japan, then Afghanistan, then Nigeria, then UK, then to France. And so it takes this circuitous path. There's multiple layers. And the idea being that if someone says, I want to trace where Mark is from, well, they have to go into each and every country and check the server that was in the middle of that to find it. Of course, no one can get legal access to all those servers in all those countries. So it protects people from being traced. And that's what it was created for. It's not inherently bad. 
the analogy I use is think of dark alleys. A dark alley isn't inherently a bad place. But if you're choosing to do bad things, you're probably choosing to do it in the dark alley and not in the middle of the broadly lit street. So that's why all the bad guys do their work on the dark web and not out in the open. Gotcha. Okay. And, and I know we're going down a rabbit hole that uh, listeners are probably scratching their head and say, what, what are we going to talk about here? So uh, thank you for indulging the, the nerdy side of me that just really wanted to know some of that stuff. So let's, uh, let's get back to the other piece that we were just talking about, because I find it interesting. You know, you, you said that you taught yourself these skills. You had the awareness to teach yourself these skills that nobody was really teaching us. And it's interesting because you were working with engineers who have the reputation uh, of not having these soft skills in general, that they're a little bit rougher on the edges than you know, the, the average bear. So talk to us, for somebody listening to this, whether they're an entrepreneur, whether they're working for somebody, whether they're looking to find their career job, wherever they are on their career track, talk to us about what these you know, I know there's a bunch of them, so we can't get into all of them, but, but a few of these top skills and then why they're so important. The skills that I cover, and again, these are skills that we've gotten in feedback from corporations saying, this is what we want from big corporations, from small ones, from mid-sized ones across all different industries. The skills include leadership, networking, negotiating, communication, ethics, having a clear sense of career and direction, knowing how to work effectively in your environment with skills like managing your manager or motivating people. These are the skills that companies want to see. And this is true whether you are a junior person, a senior person, whether you're a founder starting your own business, these skills will help you on your way. Let me give you an example of the power of these. So let's talk about negotiating for a moment. Consider the following example. Imagine you are 25 years old and you have a job offer for $60,000. But instead of just accepting that job, you have learned how to negotiate. So you go and negotiate that offer and you get up to 61,000. That's not a huge lift. You don't have to be a master negotiator to get $1,000 more. So you then get 61,000, you take the job and you sit in that job for the next 40 years. You've just earned $1,000 more for 40 years. One five-minute negotiation got you $40,000. Wow, what a massive ROI, right? That's incredible, $40,000 with one five-minute negotiation. Now, of course, you're thinking, wait a second, I'm not gonna stay in that job for 40 years. You're going to have promotions and raises and take other jobs, and you're gonna negotiate those. And it's not just gonna be for $1,000 more. And when you think about it, you say, wait a second, if I learn how to negotiate a little bit better, not that I'm the best negotiator in the world, but I just get a little bit better, I can add tens of thousands of dollars, even hundreds of thousands of dollars to my lifetime earning. And we're just talking about negotiating salary. Negotiations help all the time. We negotiate with our spouse. We negotiate with our coworkers, with our boss. It's going to help in those areas as well. Now, here's the thing. I use negotiation because it's easy to do the math, to say, oh, $1,000 more times 40 years. Okay, I get it. But this example applies to all these skills. If you get even just a little better at leading, a little better at communicating and networking at each and any of these skills, you're going to get that same kind of compounding return. 
No one's going to say, well, you're a better communicator, so here's $1,000 more. But they are going to say, you're a better communicator. I want you on this project. You're getting the promotion. I want to work with your company. It can happen in lots of subtle ways, but it's going to give you the same incredible ROI. So investing in these skills today, no matter where you are in your career, it's going to help you be more effective, more successful. And in many cases, that successful mean more financially rewarded. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you, and I can't wait to see where you'll go. Makes perfect sense. And one of the things that piqued my ears a little bit was ethics, because a lot of people who talk about career success and career tracks talk about some of these other components, leadership, certainly uh, networking to a lesser degree, communication, absolutely. Very rarely have I run across somebody who frames ethics as a critical skill for business. Talk to us about that. I think that's so unfortunate. Now, companies do list ethics as one of these skills, but if you pick up the average business book, it's not even addressed. It's ignored. And that is so unfortunate. We need to focus on ethics as individuals, but also as corporate organizations. I think too often ethics is the afterthought. It's let's just focus on profits. Let's focus on gaining customers, whatever you're looking at. Oh, and did we bump up against any ethical issues? But we do need to make these trade-offs and say, you know, we could make more money, but maybe it's okay to make less money, but meet some corporate needs or meet some community needs uh, that respond to what we feel is ethically appropriate. I think we're going to see more of this. We're seeing with some of the younger generations, mission is important to them. Impact is important. And so for companies that want to attract and retain younger workers, I think having a strong sense of ethics is important. Now, unfortunately, most companies just say, oh, we care about the environment or this is what's important to us and don't harass others, the no asshole rule, for example. But it's not that simple. Ethics often is subtle. It is complex. And like these other skills, you can't just do a one-off. Right? You can't just send someone to a leadership training program for a day and say, oh, you've had a day of training. You're a leader now, right? We know it's not that simple. Same thing with ethics. You can't just look at it once and say, well, we did three years ago. We're ethical. It has to be something you keep in mind on ongoing basis, like all these other skills. And the business world, Mark, has shifted so much in the last year or so because of COVID. So what are, what are your clients reporting to you as some of the larger ethical challenges that businesses are facing today? There's certainly one right now of finding what's that balance between requiring vaccinations or letting people make their own choices. We have seen issues today. This is hot off the presses. All of a sudden, there are thousands of people. I think in one community, there were 
thousands of police officers who are claiming religious exemptions for vaccinations. Now, these are folks who no doubt have been vaccinated for measles, rubella, smallpox, never had an issue there, probably had their children get those vaccinations, but all of a sudden they're claiming religious exemption today for the current COVID vaccination. And so it's a tricky issue because we very much look at religion like a third rail, right? You really don't want to say, well, are you really that religious? And you know, show me a picture of the Christmas tree in your home. But on the other hand, it does feel like people are trying to play it both ways. And so that's an issue we're facing in businesses and as a community as a whole. We also are looking at DEI issues, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and what's the right balance? Should we be actively trying to promote people in certain uh, groups that have historically been disadvantaged? Others are arguing you need just a totally objective standard. And yet people come back to that and say, but we can't be totally objective. There's always unconscious bias. There's no clear line for these. We know harassment, particularly sexual harassment of women, is rampant. We're just starting to talk about it as a society. So these are some of the issues that we're really facing today. And then there are ones specific to individual companies and industries. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I definitely want to tackle communication with you as well, because that's also one that I think is actually less emphasized. You know, everybody talks about sales metrics and goal setting. We don't often talk about just at its basic level communication. So talk to us about the work you're doing in that area and what people can get from the book in that regard. The first thing we have to do is define what communication is. Here's one of my big pet peeves when I see job descriptions. I'll see a statement like strong communication skills. What does that mean? Because there's many types of communication. In fact, that's probably the broadest topic in the book. Consider a good communicator can mean someone who can stand up on that TED stage and give that perfect speech that's well-rehearsed and motivational and looks so inspiring, that's a great communicator. Someone who can write succinct emails, like get right to the point, that's a good communicator. Someone who knows how to raise an issue at just the right time, that's a good communicator. Someone who's just very eloquent, but perhaps not good standing on stage, that person is a good communicator. All these people are good communicators, but in different ways. So whenever we talk about communication, we always need to think, what exactly are we looking for? And when I focus on communication in the book, I look at a couple of different ways. I talk about the information flow throughout your organization, whether you're just a handful of people or a large corporation, understanding what information flows, when, where, and how is important to running your business correctly. But then I also look at specifically how we communicate, how we get ideas across to each other. And unfortunately, we have so many miscommunications in the office. How many times have you walked out of a meeting and everyone seemed to be on the same page and then you discover in an email or a conversation a few days later, oh, wait, we had a totally different interpretation. Now, it might only be 3% of the time, but that's 3% of the time you are wasting. That's getting lost. That's going down the wrong path. So looking at how to communicate effectively, how to get our ideas into the heads of the other people, 
that is what I really focus on my communication chapter. I talk about some of those other communication issues in other chapters, but it's really about how we can effectively convey ideas to one another. So give us a few of your top tips in that regard of how we can really improve communication across the board. Here's the basic example. Imagine you are pitching an idea and you are pitching this to a person who is extremely left-brained. If you've ever watched The Big Bang Theory, could be one of the cast members from there, right? Really left-brained. How would you pitch the idea? Well, you'd probably have a very logical, organized, laid out, detailed plan. And you go through step-by-step why this all makes sense from the premise to the conclusion. Now imagine you want to pitch that same idea to someone who is extremely right-brained, that creative person who barely remembers his phone number or home address and really gets lost and distracted easily with ADHD, but really into inspiration and emotional connection. Would you use that same logical presentation to pitch to this person? Of course not. You're going to take a very different approach, perhaps more of a storytelling approach. By understanding that people communicate in different ways, that we carry these different mental models in our heads, we can begin to recognize who we're speaking to and how to craft the correct message. Just like if I'm going to Chicago versus going to Tokyo versus going to Paris, I am going to communicate differently. I might not speak in English in all three of those countries. I'm gonna have to change what I'm saying. The content's the same, but how I say it will be different. So too do we have to do that with our coworkers and other people we encounter in our daily lives. You bring up something that's very important because a lot of times we think, and particularly sales training or you know, even, even what you were saying with negotiations, like we don't often sit and say to, my, say to ourselves, how does this person perceive us? You know, are they, and you can tell pretty quickly based on a conversation with somebody, which way they tend to lean, if they really are more, you know, left brain and logic based, or if really they wear their heart on their sleeve and they're passionate and it's, it's the emotional resonance that really connects with them. So I really appreciate the way, the way that you frame that. And, and I did though, before we transition off of communication, I did want to ask you, you know, a COVID related question because the workplace has moved virtual in, in ways that it hasn't before. And, you know, there's, we're a Microsoft Teams world, we're a Zoom world. Have any of the practical applications of communication skills shifted? And if so, how do we adapt to that? Very much so. I have whole talks I do on how communication and other skills have to change in the hybrid workplace. Now, as background, I have been involved in hybrid companies and virtual companies going back almost 20 years. I've run remote teams in other countries. In software engineering, this has been common for a while. I've been part of virtual companies pre-COVID where we were scattered all over the country. I've had offices where we've only been in the office a couple of days a week, and then we're working from home other days, all of this pre-COVID. The thing to remember is that different communication channels have different bandwidth. So you can imagine face-to-face, we have facial expressions and body language and tone of voice, and even just that mood. You can sense tension in the room or sense happiness. You get less of that on a phone call, less of that in emails. We're all familiar with that. 
So recognize that as we engage with each other, we sometimes have wider or more limited bandwidth, and that may or may not be important. If I am just trying to schedule a meeting with you, yeah, email's fine. We don't really need a lot of emotion for that. On the other hand, if you are a leader and you're talking to your team about how there's about to be layoffs and it's going to be a tough time, but we're going to get through this and you want to give them some, some we can pull together as a family and rah, rah, even though we're going to take some pain. That's a lot harder to do on a phone call or even a Zoom where you might be looking at a couple little thumbnails of people's faces and you just don't have that same emotional connection to the room. So these things will change. And we have to recognize for each circumstance how it might change and then what we need to do to compensate for it. Love it. I love it. And I, and I know the whole, the whole premise of what you're doing is to really help people build their career track and execute it successfully. And one of the things that you focus on is a career plan, which a lot of people don't have, you know, they get into a job for whatever reason, maybe they're happy, maybe they're not, maybe they have skills in it, maybe they don't, but very few people actually will sit there from day one and create this trajectory. So talk to us about how and why that's so important. And then what are the type of questions we should ask to do that? Imagine if your boss said to you, Hey, here's a really big project. It's going to take a year. So it's January 1st. I want you to go tackle this project. You say, okay, I'm on it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go wing it for the next year. And I'll see you on December 31st. And let's cross our fingers and hope that we achieve it. There's no way your boss is going to accept that, right? What do you do? You say, well, okay, let's create a project plan. What are we doing each month or maybe each week? Maybe we need a budget. Maybe there are certain milestones you want to hit along the way. Now, you know, when you create that plan, you're not going to follow it exactly. You're going to have to adjust the plan. You're going to be off plan sometime. You're going to be behind schedule or over budget, and you'll have to adjust. But there's no way you'd ever tackle a year-long project without a plan. So can you imagine tackling a 20 or 30-year-long project without a plan? And yet that's what we do when we have our careers and just say, well, I don't know. I hope I wind up being an executive or getting to this role or whatever it is. But a wish is not a plan, as St. Augustine once taught us. You need to create a project plan for your career. Now, just like your normal plan, it's not going to be perfect. You're going to regularly adjust along the way. And it's totally okay that your plan, the details of it, 5, 10, 15 years out are a lot fuzzier than the details maybe one to two years out. So think of it just like any other project plan, just on a bigger time frame. And I break down the book more details of really how you can go through this. To the second part that you asked, the questions are really important. And so in chapter one of the Career Toolkit, there are a list of questions. You can also get that on the Career Toolkit book website. I give those questions away for free on the resources page. And these questions come in different categories. And this is the important part. Some of those questions are things like, how many hours do you want to work? Do you prefer working in teams or working alone? Standard questions you'd imagine. But there's a whole bunch of other questions like, where do you want to live? What type of lifestyle do you want? How much money do you need? What impact do you want to have on the community? We have to look at our life as well as our job when we're planning our career. Because if you're just focusing on your job and creating the job that you want, it might not support the life 
that you want. So we have to think about the life we want, our family, our financial needs, our overall happiness, and then find a job that fits into that. So don't just answer job questions, look at your life holistically. What I've loved about our discussion, Mark, is that these things that you're proposing, they're intuitive, yet nobody talks about them. And that's what I absolutely love about this. So (laughs) I can't believe how quickly this time has flown by, but I think that you are definitely onto something significant. And this is, I'm glad they're doing this at MIT. I wish they were doing this everywhere. I wish that you know, colleges or high schools would shove this in people's face and say, look, these are the things you have to think about before you get into the real world, because nobody talks about these things. So I am so grateful that you've written this book and that you've shared a little bit of that wisdom with us today. You actually can do this anywhere. And I agree with you that I wish colleges and high school were doing this. In your company, you can do this on the resources page. The very first download, the Career Toolkit Development Guide, is a free guide that can be given to HR or a leader, or you can just do this yourself. And it's how you can create peer learning groups to help develop these skills. And it's using the techniques we use at MIT, techniques used at top business schools, but by creating these small groups where you engage with some content and then discuss it, this is going to help you develop on your own. There's no cost. And yes, you can use my book for it, but you can use other books. You can use articles. You can use great podcasts like this one. And each week your group listens to that podcast and then discusses it. So I agree with you. I wish this was more widespread, but just because other people haven't provided it for you, you can take this free download and create it yourself. Beautiful. Mark, I I have so thoroughly enjoyed our our time and listening to your insights. As you know, I wrap up every show by asking my guests a single question, and that is, what is your biggest helping, that one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? It can seem intimidating to say, how am I going to become a great leader, a great networker, a great negotiator? But as we saw with that negotiating example, it's not about being the best in the world. It's just about getting a little bit better. And if you can get that few percent better in each of these skills, you're going to have a fantastic, successful career. So don't be intimidated. Start today and just focus on getting a little bit better. I love it. So well said. Mark, tell us where people can get their hands on your book and find out more about you online. You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. There, of course, you can see where to buy it, Amazon, other places. There's physical books. There's eBooks. You can also get in touch with me or follow me on all the social media channels. There is the resources page that has that free download, plus links to other free resources online and a lot of other great books that I recommend. And then there's also a free app. So if you go to the app page, you can go download a free app that has the content from the book. It's available on Uh, iPhones and Android, and it's linked from the website. And so each day, it's just going to pop up a little tip, a little reminder from the book to help you retain it. Because I know when you read a book like this, you forget 30 days later. So this will help you retain what you've learned. All of this is available on my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. Perfect. And we'll have those links up in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com so everyone can get their hands on that. Mark, thank you again. I'm so grateful to have you on. This was an awesome episode. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Absolutely. And, and I want to thank each and every one of you as well who chose to take time out of your day and listen to our conversation. If you like what you heard, go give us a follow on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today, do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are, and post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping because the happiest people are those that help others. 